This is episode number 30 of the Abuse Talk podcast with me, Jennifer Gilmore. Welcome to the Abuse Talk podcast. My name is Jennifer Gilmore and I turned my mess into a message. I'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and promote that together we are louder. Each fortnight there is a new episode on the Abuse Talk podcast featuring a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector, getting an inside feel for what it's really like in their job role and sharing it with all of you. There's also a chance for you to join in the discussion by leaving a voice recording a message so that we can share together in the discussion. In this episode I speak to John Trott from Abuse Free Life and we talk about the subjects of stalking and what that really means. Before we get started, I want to say a big thank you to Rockpool. They're the main sponsor for Hashtag Abuse Talk. And the other week, I went on their Hope to Recovery programme. It's brand new and it's an education programme for people who are experiencing or have experienced domestic abuse. It's their first step to recovery from domestic abuse. You can find out more about them at rockpool.life. And they are all about being trauma informed. They are industry leading in training and consultancy services for organisations that support people who have been affected by trauma. So do check them out at rockpool.life. I also want to say a big thank you to Susan Rahima and Katrina here for being my hashtag abuse talk patrons on Patreon. You can find out more about it at patreon.com forward slash Jen L Gilmore. They're going to be getting the first look at the hashtag abuse talk app, which I'm very excited about. So have a look at patreon.com forward slash Jen L Gilmore. And thank you to Susan Rahima and Katrina here for supporting me on that tier. And I'm going to head right into the interview now with John Trott. Be prepared. You might want a pen and paper. I certainly learned a lot within this conversation with him. Right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of the Hashtag Abuse Talk podcast. Um, Today, I am joined by John Trott, who I have known for years, and I think we originally connected through um, the Twitter chat. So I'm really delighted because I've tried to pin John down for a while to do a podcast and specifically thinking about stalking today. Um, John is a highly experienced detective and having served with the Devon and Cornwall Police for over 28 years and retiring as a Detective Chief Inspector in 2016. Um, He was responsible for the prevention and investigation of domestic abuse, sexual abuse, child and vulnerable adult abuse and for the final four years of his police career he was the force lead for domestic abuse, stalking and harassment, forced marriage, honour-based abuse, female genital mutilation and safeguarding vulnerable adults and adults at risk and that is just a snippet, that's just a tip off the iceberg I would say. Um, So welcome John, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Uh, no, it's good to be here. Uh, and sorry it's taken so long. I do appreciate you've been trying to pin me down. And uh, uh, But uh, yeah, no, it's great to be here because at the end of the day, I think the subject matter we're going to be talking about is, is really, really important, very passionate about it. And hopefully, um, 
you know, victim survivors and professionals, anybody that's listening will take something positive away from it. And, uh, um, uh, you know, and uh, well, just be able to make use of it uh, uh, for the future. Well, um, I mean, to be honest, I don't doubt that at all because you've been so helpful um, in my personal journey as well. So I think everybody is going to learn something from this. So um, can you just tell us, I mean, I've just given a snapshot of um, your sort of career there, but obviously um, I've read your bio and it is pretty vast, isn't it? Well, um <laughs> Yeah, I, the way you've explained it, it sounds uh, it sounds vast. Um, obviously, I have got that experience within the police service. It's uh, some time ago now, isn't it? It's four years, and um, I'm at pains actually now because people introduced me in terms of obviously having been a detective, a senior detective, in those areas, uh, which is quite right to highlight, I think. And um, as I've already said, passionate about it, and uh, and perhaps as we go through the. Um, talk today, then um, I'll bring out some of those reasons uh, as to why. But um, uh, I, I'm at pains really to say that obviously since since uh, my time in the police service, I've still been working uh, as abuse-free life, which is uh, my, mm. my work, but working with other uh, agencies and, uh, and indeed other charities as well uh, to just try and highlight uh, those particular areas, but particularly for me around domestic abuse, careers of control and stalking. Mm. Um, so um, that's what I've been doing for the last four years and indeed dealing with and, and helping uh, victims and survivors who are still having issues uh, potentially with uh, services not just the police service because I know that's something you want to talk about today uh, but all agencies actually because every mm. agency has, uh, has a part to play uh, in and around domestic abuse and indeed stalking. Mm. Well, we're talking about stalking today, and I've had you know quite a few questions in there. Obviously, some of them are, are quite specific to that person. So I first thought we should probably sort of unpick what stalking is. So could you just explain to us what is stalking? Well, uh, amazingly, uh, some may know this already, but some, some don't. Certainly the professionals that I deliver training to around this area uh, most indeed don't but don't realise that there is no legal no legal definition for stalking, uh, which is bizarre really when you think about how many people uh, are affected uh, by stalking. Uh, but um, stalking in effect, uh, and the definition that I like to reflect on, because actually if you look at uh, various definitions that various charities agencies have come up with, but the one I like uh, best, and they're a great organisation, the Susie Lampley Trust, uh, is the one which uh, basically stalking is a pattern of fixated and obsessive behaviour, which is repeated, persistent, intrusive, and causes fear of violence or engenders alarm and distress uh, in the victim. Um, look, it's, it's nothing new. It's been around uh, for a long, long time. It's not just come, come to light since 2012, which is when the legislation for stalking came in. It's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, and, uh, but obviously it's talked about a lot now and it sort of came to um, came to light really or, or, or got media attention sort of from the mid 80s with various um, things happening within the United States, which is actually where the first talking legislation came about. Right. I mean, I didn't actually know there wasn't a legal definition for stalking. So I guess is that something we should consider changing? <laughs> 
Um, well, the, the, there is legislation around stalking, but no legal definition uh, it. into Sorry. it, as I say. So there is, there is um, uh, legislation about it, and uh, um, but into uh, and perhaps we'll touch on that uh, a bit later because I know some of the questions you want to ask me talk about uh, that legal aspect. But I think that the, the thing for me uh, and for everybody to remember is it's really, really serious. Um, it's it's life changing. Many people and many victims will lose jobs. Their relationships uh, get affected. Um, they potentially lose friends as well. There's massive uh, physical and emotional effects, uh, whether that be through um, anxiety, sleep uh, disturbances, uh, distrust of people, uh, disorders, uh, potential self-harm, uh, definitely post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. And, and these, these can be really severe. They can be long-lasting. Uh, long it makes people, uh, victims, hypersensitive, really hypervigilant, uh, effectively always looking over their shoulder uh, can give people uh, financial, social loss, and it has a massive impact on the family, uh, whether, it's, whether it's parents, children, siblings, et cetera, et cetera. So mm. it's really serious and, um, um, and needs to be treated as such and, and needs to be dealt with very quickly when agencies, not just the police, but agencies, um, uh, it, it's drawn to their attention or, or they become aware of it and, and they need to take quick action because actually the quick the quicker you take action in relation to a perpetrator of stalking, uh, from now on, I'm going to call them a stalker for the purposes of today, Jenny, if that's all right. But, yeah, that's um, fine. In terms of a stalker, the quicker you do that, then the um, uh, the quicker the whole matters can hopefully be dealt with, uh, including the perpetrator, which will then pop, put a stop to it. The fact of the matter is, it's very similar um, for a victim uh, to, for coercive control who may have been in a domestic abuse relationship with coercive control um, uh, and stalking and the types of behaviours within stalking can be very similar but right. the fact is I'm lucky enough I think you and I have had this discussion before uh, and I'm not going to go into massive detail about uh, my family life and things but let, let me tell you uh, and you know happily married so we have um, three children uh, and I wake up in the morning wondering, um, you know, uh, what we're going to do in four months, five months, six months time, potentially where we're going to go on holiday, those types of things. Uh, nowhere at the moment, actually, but bearing in mind, obviously, what's going on around the world. But, um, you, you know, the types of things I don't have to worry about uh, things that victims of stalking have to worry about, which mm -hmm. is they're waking up in the morning wondering how they're going to keep themselves safe for today. Mm. Not tomorrow, but for today. How am I going to keep myself? How am I going to keep my children safe today? So they're waking up every morning with that fear. And I think it's really important, certainly for professionals, uh, to think about that and try and put, and it's never, never easy, obviously, but to try and take off their professional heads for a minute when they come across such things as domestic abuse and or stalking and try and put um, a head on of the, the victim, if you like, and try and imagine it. And you can never imagine it if you've never been through it. And everybody's, um, everybody is different, of course, and everybody's experience of domestic abuse and or stalking are different. But you just need to take your professional head off for, for a minute and try and look at it through that, um, uh, through the head of a victim or through the eyes of a victim. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you're waking up every single morning wondering how you're going to keep yourself safe, uh, I'll just take you back to that. It, clearly, it's going to... Um, give you some anxiety 
probably sleep disturbances, distrust, eating disorders, all sorts of things, post-traumatic stress. So, mm. And yeah. um, I mean, when we think about stalking, um, I don't know, maybe the media has helped with that, but we imagine, you know, somebody in the bushes, in the back garden, looking through our window. We imagine mm-hmm. somebody following us physically. But obviously there's, um, you know, society and our technology has changed and there's maybe such thing as digital stalking. So what is digital stalking? Well, digital stalking, uh, well, another name for it is uh, cyber stalking, but it's effectively where stalkers are using the digital technologies to keep track uh, and monitor the victim. Um, it can take many different forms, but basically... Uh, it's obviously stalking online via online channels such as social media within forums or via emails uh, but it is uh, typically um, planned over a, a sustained period of time um, they may feel like uh, to a victim uh, or to somebody looking out from the inside certainly uh, uh, from the outside looking in sorry is seemingly harmless um, uh, at the beginning but it's that constant uh, drip, drip, drip um, uh, of those types of behaviours that obviously become uh, systematic, become annoying and, and can become really frightening for, for somebody. So uh, I hear what you say about people in bushes. Believe me, that still goes on. Uh, know of cases where people have been um, even in a wardrobe uh, in somebody's house. And, um, but that still goes on. But obviously today, with the technology around today, uh, cyber stalking, digital um, stalking uh, will usually go hand in hand uh, and we know from the research that's been done um, in terms of the percentages that uh, I think Susie Lamprey Trust recently did some work and I think it was just over 90% of all stalking cases will have some form of digital stalking mm. uh, as well but the point is uh, even if it was just digital stalking uh, and when I say just, I don't mean that to minimise it at all, but if it was just that type of stalking, at some stage, uh, a perpetrator of stalking, a stalker, uh, will want to get uh, up close and personal to that particular victim. Mm, so uh, so they're like, using that, they're using that yeah. to collect information and intelligence, if you like, uh, to then obviously continue their stalking behaviours uh, for their end goal, whatever that may be. And of course, that may vary from uh, 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 victim to victim. I just want to say, if I, I can, uh, please, Jane, is that we, we need to be very clear in terms of, um, you often hear the term, they're sort of hand in glove together, but, um, and apologies, because sometimes I get my uh, phrases wrong, but, uh, you know, hand in glove together, you, you hear stalking and harassment in the same sentence. Right. Stalking and harassment. It, it isn't harassment. It's not harassment. I can tell you uh, from the work that I did within the police service just prior to um, leaving the final couple of years of leaving, I did some of my own work uh, in relation to looking at uh, those cases that had come in that were uh, uh, crimed as, uh, police word, but crimed as um, uh, harassment. But actually, when you asked a few more questions of the victim or did a bit more digging and investigation, you realised actually it wasn't harassment, it was stalking. Mm. And every single case I looked at was stalking. And actually the the police, um, uh, National Police Chiefs Council and the CPS did um, uh, a big uh, piece of work in 2017 and produced a thing called the Living in Fear Report. 
Uh, and every single case that they looked at from around the UK, um, uh, it turns out uh, at some stage, 100% of their cases they looked at, there were failings in every single one yeah. in terms of the investigation. Uh, doesn't mean that you know they, they didn't do things right and uh, there were just some failings. But clearly, uh, the point is, and as I say with that, every, every case that I've ever come across, when you do a bit more de uh, uh, digging around an investigation, it comes, it's, it's actually stalking. You would have been able to prove a more serious offence of stalking than uh, harassment. So um, uh, I'd, love, I'd love for harassment to just be taken off the books in terms of the, the stalking aspect, because the trouble is for professionals, if they hear stalking and harassment, um, uh, on occasions, not every occasions, but they start looking at the harassment aspect as opposed to stalking, which is obviously lesser. But yeah. again, coming back to a victim, if they're waking up in the morning, uh, wondering how they're going to keep themselves safe, they're, they're, they're having to make substantial substantial changes to their life, in effect, because the rest of us don't have to do it, you know, that are going, uh, we're in good relationships. But uh, yeah. so they're, they're, therefore, it's going to be stalking. It's not going to be um, harassment. Yeah, I think I've spoken to quite a few people, um, you know, that have come out of an abusive relationship and sometimes it's being classed as um, malicious communications as well. Yeah. Um, and I think there's all this, there's quite a bit of terminology that goes around or where it could fit. And maybe it's just that we need to be more specific to looking at what classifies it as which one. Um but anyway, so what would you say, um, at what point does stalking become a criminal offence? Um, because obviously that's something that needs to <laughs> shed some light on that one as well. I think a lot yeah. of people are confused. Well, I think this is where it comes back to the legal, there not being a legal definition for stalking. Mm. Um, so I think it's important really just to uh, consider uh, in, in terms of that question, when does stalking become a criminal offence? Uh, actually, uh, what what uh, type of behaviours um, uh, occur, or does a, a stalker use uh, against a victim first, and then and then put that into the current legislation? So, I, I think I've mentioned, but uh, behaviours themselves uh, that a, a, a stalker will use might actually seem to people on the outside really unremarkable. Um, um, and, and there's still considerable ambiguity regarding how you actually define behaviour that constitutes stalking. Uh, but the, the big thing really is that the crux of the issue lies in the fact that it is how the victim experienced unwanted contact as opposed to the contact itself. So it's, it's how the victim experiences the unwanted contact as opposed to the contact itself. So I may experience some particular contact and actually it, it doesn't cause me an issue, but mm. you could, uh, Danny, and I mean this in the nicest way, but you could uh, obviously experience uh, the same behaviour and it would have a, uh, an impact on you mm. because of obviously what uh, may have been going on in your life could be different to mine. To mm. mine. So when you look at uh, that, you have to look at what are the unwanted, what are unwanted communications uh, um, or contacts uh, and in effect unwanted communications can include telephone calls from people, right. um, emails, uh, you know, from the stalker. It could include, uh, it's unlikely nowadays, isn't it? But letters even, we don't get letters nowadays, do we? 
Um, um, I used to say faxes, but I think they've gone out now. But, um, but you know, messaging, there can be uh, potentially graffiti. Um, uh, graffiti is a, a big one. It's a real precursor. If you start getting graffiti or criminal damage, it's a real precursor to, to know things are going to uh, get worse potentially. Therefore, it needs to be taken really seriously by the authorities. Uh, but social network, contacting other people, yeah. um, you know, the, 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 the stalker contacting other people that you wouldn't want them to contact. So those would be unwanted communications. And wanted intrusions would be things like, um, good old police word this, but loitering, uh, uh, maybe near the victim's home or workplace. Monitoring, we've already touched on the online stuff, but on and offline. Uh, spying, uh, I said we, you sort of uh, mentioned it, but... Um, uh, people in, you know, they do. They they sit in cars. They sit sit in hedges uh, and all sorts. But maybe interfering with your property, following you, uh, entering uh, a victim's home or workplace, sending or leaving materials or gifts, ordering or cancelling goods and services, and making vexatious complaints. That's a real big one. Mm. Uh, you, you know, uh, I, I have people that come to me and talk about family courts where. They've been in an intimate partner relationship. The relationship is finished. Um, uh, perhaps the, the divorce has happened, but there's still, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, one of the partners will keep taking the, the, the victim of stalking, if, uh, bearing in mind that's what we're looking at today, back to the uh, family court. Yeah. With no evidence, uh, you know, no changes. But what, has, what happens, of course, with uh, vexatious uh, complaints is that if uh, somebody makes a complaint to an organisation, be it children's social care, be it the police, be it whatever, they have a duty, understandably, of having to um, investigate that. And whilst it never, never may go anywhere, the victim themselves, who knows, look, I've done nothing wrong, uh, still gets put through a lot of heartache and grief and worry. Um, so those are, you know... Uh, vexatious complaints. Um, mm. We talked about digital talking, um, but we're talking about property damage and violence. So those are the types of unwanted communications uh, that occur. And um, as I say, on, on the, in the grand scheme of things, if somebody from the outside was looking in, they wouldn't necessarily consider uh, that as stalking. Right. Um, but the crux of the matter, as I say, comes back to the victim. Uh, what, what their experience of it is, what is their experience of the unwanted contact as opposed to, as I say, the types of contact itself. And if ultimately that is uh, putting them in fear of violence, potentially, or it's having a substantial adverse effect on their day-to-day -day life, mm. and that or is really important, uh, then they are being stalked. We've obviously um, looked at stalking and I've had conversations with you before about coercive control and, and stalking, but how do we know what the difference between coercive control and stalking is? Because from what you've said um, about stalking, you kind of can apply it to that abusive relationship you may have been in before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we have had those um, chats before, haven't we? But um in essence, if you were to, uh, well, I'd encourage people, go and, go and Google um, uh, on the CP, go on to the CPS uh, website, it's, it's all there, but Google um, CPS and stalking and also Google CPS and coercive control 
have a look at both, print them off, put them side by side to each other. And actually what you'll see in terms of the legislation, section 4A of stalking, which came out or became legislation in September of 2012, the actual wording of that is basically the same, uh, bar one, one or two minor words, but basically the same as uh, coercive control that became legislation in December uh, 2015. Uh, now, why is that uh, relevant? Well, it's it, it's relevant because if you have been, for coercive control, you need to have been in that intimate person, uh, partner relationship in the main. There Obviously, it can be family members, but you need to have been in that relationship in the main, that intimate partner relationship. Uh, now, that relationship, when that comes to an end, whether the victim, uh, if they've been in that uh, coercive control and relationship, it ends. Um, if though the types of behaviours that the victim was experiencing from the perpetrator of that domestic abuse continue outside of that relationship, it could be 30 seconds, it could be a minute, it could be days, it could be weeks, but if, if those behaviours continue, then you're now into stalking. Mm. So in a nutshell, if you're in a coercive controlling relationship, it's coercive control that should be investigated if you were to report that to the police service. Um, the minute you step outside of that um, uh, relationship or flee the relationship, but uh, you know what I'm trying to say here, the minute it finishes, the behaviours continue, um, and we've, we've talked about those types of behaviours already, but if those behaviours continue, uh, then it becomes uh, stalking. And that's how it should be investigated. So the police, police service, if they were investigating it, should recognise in the first instance, this is stalking, not coercive control, it's stalking. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, but the great news is, from a legislation point of view, is that um, you can use the evidence from the coercive control that was going on in that relationship before uh, as part of the ongoing evidence in terms of uh, for stalking to right. help prove that stalking offence. And it's right and proper that that should be done uh, because it's a continuation um, of the behaviours. Uh, and therefore shows the experiences that the victim was going through before. Mm. And you need to, we also need to understand and recognise in terms of domestic abuse, um, there will be, uh, I mean, the, uh, you can talk between 35 and 50, the, the latest research or the research from 2015, 2016 by Safe Lives shows that a victim of domestic abuse will, will experience up to 50 types of incidents. And when I say incidents, I don't mean criminal type of incidents, you know, substantive incidents that the police would understand, like burglary, theft, damage. I'm talking about those uh, incidents, those behaviours that seem rather the benign and harmless. So that could be, for instance, a perpetrator, um, just before he walks out of the door, goes to work, puts uh, the ring, wedding ring on the table, a telephone table before they walk out of the door. And the perpetrator um, or the victim then knows, do you know what, when the perpetrator returns that evening from work, there's going to be all hell to pay, I'm going to uh, potentially be assaulted or, or however uh, mm. uh, that perpetrator is. That is, that is a behaviour. It's not a criminal offence, is it, uh, as such, in terms of taking your ring off and putting it on the telephone table. But that is a massive, massive thing uh, for a victim. You know, if, if somebody was walking round and round your premises or, or spying on you um, uh, and, and you knew that this just wasn't right, that the, the perpetrator was doing that, then 
what offence is there into if you rang the police and said, look, this person just sits outside my house or keeps walking outside my house? Mm. If you look at it from a police officer's perspective, they're going to go, well, okay. So what? What do you want me to do about that? Um, because there is no offence of walking past your house. Where there is an offence, of course, is how, what effect is that having on you? Um, and uh, therefore, they should be starting those stalking type investigations or coercive control investigations. But it's very, very clear, yeah. really. It's stalking once that relationship is finished. No, I mean, that's that's really interesting. It's something that I didn't know. And I don't think it's um, talked about enough. Even when we look at um, the resources and materials that are out there, it's talked about as post abuse rather than, you know, what that looks like in terms of potential stalking. Um, and I think it can be just, you know, sort of mixed into one and not looked at that there's a difference with it and that it could be to, I don't know, how would we know somebody that's not in the, the system or the police service that it would be classed as something different? Now, you did say that police should <laughs> categorise it as stalking and investigate those areas, but um, obviously this might not happen depending on um, region or postcode, I don't know. So do you think that the police... Um, need training in this area? Yeah, absolutely absolutely and um and some forces i mean uh, uh, from my perspective i've been into a number of forces and uh, delivered training uh, in relation to stalking uh, but I, I i need to say it's really important that we don't just uh concentrate on the police every single uh, agency that has interaction potentially with uh, victims of domestic abuse and stalking need to understand it that needs to be mm. the Crown Prosecution Service as well. There's no point in the police doing the work and then the CPS not understanding it. There's no point uh, in children's social care not having an understanding about it because you never know as a professional when you're speaking, it could be that day that the victim decides that they're going to set, they could just be in a place where they want to talk to somebody about it. Mm. Uh, and, and we know could be up to 50 incidents um, of domestic abuse before somebody will speak to the authorities. We know within stalking uh, and the research that's been done there by people eminently more qualified than myself, um, uh, but the work that's been done there, be up to 100 incidents, wow. 100 incidents of stalking uh, before they report it to the authorities. So I know we're, con uh, we're looking at the police uh, um, and I'm not, I'm not defending them as such, uh, uh, from that but we, it's agencies uh, all agencies need to have an understanding of it so it wouldn't surprise you to to know that uh, that I believe that because you just never know which agency is going to be presented uh, the victim will present themselves and say look this is what's happening to me and yes, there also it's... needs there also needs to be that professional curiosity from all agencies again to be asking these questions but you're dead right they do need training and they need training um to obviously to be able to understand it. The, the problem is, say, with the police service, for instance, is uh, I know that the vast, vast, vast majority of police officers joined the police service to do a good job, uh, and if they were anything like me, to, to help victims. Yeah, I mean... Uh, of all types of um, abuse. 
I suppose it's it's yeah, like what you're saying, a collective effort, isn't it? A collective effort on all parts so that we can recognise what's happening. Um, so I've had like a bunch of questions that have come in and I'm going to try and yeah. get through them, but there are quite a lot of similarities between them. So for those that are watching, I will um, blanket them because you've all asked us similar questions. Um, so one of them is... Jen, can I just... Sorry, can I just say, though, just in terms of the training aspects, is that it yeah. was recognised by that Living in Fear report in, in 2017, which that was the joint inspection by the HMIC and the HMCPSI, was that effective training is of vital importance uh, for an, a, an appropriate response to stalking. But most officers who were interviewed as part of that inspection said they would like face-to-face -face training. They mm. prefer face-to-face -face training. Um, because with the best will in the world, uh, and I know this from experience, um, not that I did it, but uh, I just know it happens, is it, you know, if you're running around 20, uh, during your shift in the middle of the night and things like that, it might, only, it might be at two, three o'clock in the morning that you suddenly uh, think, oh, crikey, I've got some time to sit down and go through my, and within the police service, for instance, it's called NCAP, but uh, an e-learning right. package. Uh, and... Uh, they, they may have 10, 15 minutes before another call it comes in and they go out. So there's no way you can understand stalking by going through a 20-minute NCOUT uh, or e-learning package. And come mm. You might just have a bit more awareness, but you're not going to understand it. And officers themselves say, look, we need face-to-face -face training mm. uh, because it's quite right that uh, the police service and indeed other agencies are, are castigated by victims and castigated by the media for not doing things right. But actually, if you've never been given the tools to understand what domestic abuse is or to understand what stalking is and the training, then the police officers and other uh, professionals are out there just trying to do their best, but not having the tools and best equipped to be able to deal with it properly. If they've had training, then it doesn't uh, happen, i.e. there aren't proper investigations, then clearly there, there should be questions asked. But... You know, it, it's it, in my experience in training police officers, for instance, if 10% of them have had any domestic abuse input, uh, certainly up until a couple of years ago, um, then that was a that was a good result if 10% have had it. Um, so that so that that is worrying. So um, yeah, you know, police officers themselves, I know in the main what to do a good job, but if they haven't been given the tools in the first place to be able to do that, uh, then they're already on the back foot. Uh, they'll try and do their best, um, but most of them. Um, but as I say, they, they do need effective training. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of shocking, really, the 10%. <laughs> you know, that, that's well, kind that's, of that's shocking That's based on my me. own experience of being in a classroom with sort of 25 police officers at a time. Mm. How many of you have had um, any formal uh, domestic abuse training? Um, how many of you have had uh, the DASH risk assessment training? And it will be, as I say, you know, 10% is sometimes a good feeling. When you come to stalking, how many of you had stalking training? Uh, that would be very, very few. Very few indeed. Right. Well, let's get on to um, some of these questions. Um, obviously, we've covered, um, you know, training in, in terms of um, stalking. But what about the digital elements of it? I mean, we we've spoken personally before about what classifies as a, as a criminal offence, you know, does there need to be a direct threat? Um, but how can this um, come about in digital stalking? So do we need more training in that as well? 
I, I think uh, in terms of stalking, I, I, my, my training on stalking is a, a whole day's uh, training, um, to put that into context. And I touch on uh, digital stalking um, uh, as part of that training. You could actually do a whole day just on digital stalking itself. But the, the basics are the same. The way you investigate it uh, is... Is, is basically the same. So you, you need to be listening to victims, you need to be believing victims, uh, and then um, uh, obviously taking your investigation forward. But knowing that uh, in today's day and age, there will be some uh, cyber stalking in the vast, vast, vast majority of cases that are interlinked with those um, um, stalking cases. Mm. Um, but you could do a, another, another day just on cyber stalking alone. And of course, uh, your investigators will have to uh, understandably, uh, in terms of collecting that evidence, what do they do with that uh, digital evidence? Then it will go to specialists be able to um, to look into that in a bit more detail. Uh, but right. the officers who investigate stalking just need to understand that there is probably cyber stalking going on, which is why it's really important that um, uh, uh, telephones, for instance, are. Uh, 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 interrogated, uh, computers are interrogated and all sorts. But there are there are things out there to help the police, for instance, and that's very, very rarely used, but uh, uh, there are search warrants that you can, uh, basically a stalking search warrant that are, are very infrequently used by the police service, and that's because many police officers don't even know that, that they exist. Mm. Um, but obviously... Uh, there are various tools in their in their toolbox that they can use to investigate uh, and should be. But um, yeah, it comes back to training and understanding what stalking is again, Jenny. I think. Okay. Well, um, somebody's asked um, that they're asking on behalf of their partner who's had trouble getting the police to take her seriously. What evidence do you actually need to show that you are being stalked? Well, um, what I would say it's really disappointing to hear that um uh, we just know we just know um, sadly um uh, some work was done back in uh, 2011 victims voice survey uh, that found that uh, many of the victims who had contacted police um 65 of them weren't satisfied with the police uh, response uh, and sadly the victims experience of the police and the cps uh, as part of the uh, Living in Fear, there was a, a victim's journey report written alongside the Living in Fear report in 2017, showed that hardly anything had changed, despite the law change in stalking having occurred between well, in 2012. So they had the victim's experience in 2011 and the victim's journey report in 2017. Little had changed. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's really, really disappointing isn't it uh, from that perspective yeah. what evidence do you need to show that you're being stalked um look if there's there's i can't really uh pinpoint one pieces of evidence because as mm. i say we've talked about the behaviors and what you experience so we've looked at those unwanted contacts unwanted intrusions um but i think really in terms of the legislation it would be useful just to uh uh, have a look at that because I think that would explain it um, uh, better as well, uh, Jenny, if I may. Yeah. Uh, but um, in terms of uh, stalking, there are two parts of stalking. Um, now, some people 
might start yawning at this, I'll get really excited about legislation <laughs> because that actually means, it means we could do something about it. And prior to 2012 for stalking, you couldn't. There was nothing there um, as such. Uh, there was part of the harassment tax, but um, it, wasn't, it wasn't effective. So I've mentioned section 4A already, but yep. uh, in essence, you have to have a course of conduct Right. And effectively, that's two or more instances which amounts to stalking uh, and which causes another to fear on at least two occasions that violence will be used against uh, him or her, the victim, or, or causes another serious alarm or distress, which has a substantial adverse effect on their usual day-to-day -day activities. So right. if you were to break that down, uh, course of conduct, I've already said, is sort of two or more, it has to be at least two occasions. It can't just be one, otherwise you haven't got a course of conduct. But the minute you've got two, you've got a course of conduct. So if you've had, uh, you hear of victims will have, they'll say, I've had numerous text messages from, from him or her, the stalker. And uh, well, the minute you've had two, there's a course of conduct. You don't need 50 and then on another day, another 50 for there to be a course of conduct. So that you, you only have to have two things that happen, right. which amounts to stalking. Stalking, as we've all, we've talked about the different types of behaviours, that is those are the types of stalking behaviours uh, that should be uh, that should be being considered. Um, but what the CPS and the legal, as I say, it's not legally defined, but within legislation, it lists examples of behaviours associated with stalking. I've already talked about some of the, uh, today, but I say it's not an exhaustive list. But the list that's within the the CPS, if you went onto the website, for instance. Right and within legislation um, uh, are sort of the following, following a person, contacting or attempting to contact a person by any means, publishing any statement or other material relating or purporting to relate to a person or purporting to originate from a person, monitoring the use of a person on the internet, email or other form of electronic communication, loitering in, in any place where the person or watching on spying on a person. So if I just broke those down quickly, following a person, that's fairly self-explanatory, contacting or attempting to contact a person by any means. So mm -hmm. we talked about the types of contact before, publishing any statement or material relating or purporting to relate to a person. Now I talked about, um, again, I'm not going to go into details, but what's my own experience of this? I have a family member um, uh, who was stalked, uh, not by an ex-intimate partner, but uh, in effect, uh, it was somebody that they worked with. Uh, and this particular family member's uh, uh, own husband uh, was sent an email uh, purporting to be uh, somebody else saying that they were having an affair. Uh, uh, that, that family member was having an affair. Well, you can imagine the, the, the angst that that causes within that family environment. Thankfully, um, I mean, that wasn't going on. Um, but if, if you as the husband or the wife suddenly received an email from somebody saying, just to let you know your partner is having an affair with such and such. Yeah. Uh, that's going to cause some, uh, potentially some big issues in, in your life. And, and even mm. though you may trust that person, you, you know your partner implicitly, it's going to put some doubts in there. Yeah. Uh, and, and indeed, there's going to be some discussions, I'm sure, within, within yeah. your own household. But monitoring the use by a person on the internet, email or any other forms, that's just cyber stalking, digital stalking in place, loitering any place, whether public or private. Private, remember, it doesn't have to be in public. Any uh, interfering with any property in the possession of a person. So that could be all sorts, damage, criminal damage. Um, uh, well, 
theft, burglary, all those types of things. And this is the other thing, the great thing about the legislation, it's really good to talk about, or I'm really chuffed with the legislation from this point of view, is that if you have a substantive offence that the police are looking into, because stalkers will cause criminal damage, they will cause graffiti, potentially, as I say, on somebody's property or, you know, whether that be the car, the house or anything you can in essence have two bites at the cherry because if the police investigate it they should charge actually with criminal damage if it was graffiti or burglary for instance and mm -hmm. stalking and the reason that you're allowed to do that it just shows that continuum again so it's really important that that is recognized by the police service and indeed the cps because it isn't always understood and it's the same as if you have an order out against the perpetrator or the stalker if there's a restraining order, which is effectively one of the most powerful pieces of paper in the land, isn't it? And the reason you'll have that restraining order is probably because you were being stalked in one, one way, shape or form. It may not have been written down as stalking, but things are happening in, in your life, which is having an adverse effect on you that you've gone to get or the police have applied for a restraining order. If that restraining order is breached... Um, then not only should the per perpetrator be dealt with for breach of the restraining order, they should also be dealt with stalking. Mm. There is a course of conduct, which there will be if you've got a restraining order, because as I say, but if the perpetrator then effectively flicks two fingers up uh, to that piece of paper, they're doing that to the courts. And as right. I say, it's a really, really powerful piece of paper. So if they're doing that to the courts, then in terms of risk, agencies should recognise that risk to the victim is going to increase because actually the perpetrator doesn't care. I'm yeah. just going to breach this restraining order, which then just comes back to that legislation um, that I was talking about. So you need the course of conduct, which amounts to stalking, which are those behaviours we've talked about, plus what I said was on the CPS website, which mm. causes another to fear on at least two occasions that violence will be used against him or her. Violence never has to have been used. It can be a threat or it can be implied or, and actually this is where uh, probably the easiest for the police service to prove, causes another serious alarm or distress which has a substantial adverse effect on their day-to-day -day activities. How is that defined, substantial adverse effect? If a, if a victim has to change their routes to work, their work patterns or employment, if they're arranging for friends or family to pick up their children from school uh, to avoid obviously contact with the stalker, mm. if they're having to put additional security measures in place in the home, uh, if they move home, if they have physical or mental health uh, uh, issues, um, you know, deterioration in their performance at work due to stress, the victim having to stop or change the way that they socialise, that is having an adverse effect. So that, again, comes back to me, Jenny, where I said, if you're waking up every single morning wondering how you're going to keep yourself safe, then uh, from, from a substantial adverse effects, that's going to have an impact on your physical or mental health, isn't it? Yeah. So it's it, from a police perspective, it actually shouldn't be, if they ask the right questions of a victim, a hard um, um, a, a, a crime to investigate. It should be the points to prove, as we would say in the police, should be fairly easy to locate as long as you ask the right questions and then do the right type of investigation. So that's what the police should be doing in terms of the question, I think, coming back. Sorry, it's been a very long answer. <laughs> uh, to the type of evidence that you need to show that you're being stalked. Actually, you shouldn't need to show it. If you think you're being stalked, you should be reporting it to the police. The police should be believing you. They should commence their investigation. 
The good news is, as I say to police officers around investigation for stalking, is in the vast, vast majority of the uh, times, the victim knows their stalker. Mm, yeah. They might not know them actually, they may have come across them, but they know their stalker. It's not like a burglary where a burglar, Billy Burglar, who's going around the countryside burgling houses and the police are thinking, who is it? We've got no idea who this person is. We've got no idea where they're going to strike next. But you do know mm. from a stalking investigation that ultimately the stalker, I said before, wants to get close and personal to the victim. So there are ways, of course, you know, you know who the victim is. You probably know who the stalker is. It, it doesn't take uh, rocket science to um, then pull an investigation together to try and prove those types of offences. But in terms of the um, uh, evidence that you need, it's down to the police to find that. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately those behaviours that a victim is experiencing, if they tell the police officers uh, that this is what they're, they're experiencing, they then just need, you know, that's, that evidence will be in a statement form from a victim um, uh, and uh, initially, and that's a bit easier sometimes in stalking. This is what I say to professionals in stalking. Uh, to get evidence from a victim of stalking is easier than if you're in a coercive control in relation because actually the perpetrator has left for stalking cases. If they're still in that coercive controlling uh, relationship, as many victims would know, trying to give a statement to the police is going to be really, really hard because ultimately they might not uh, uh, be found guilty or be charged with any offences. So where will, the, where will the perpetrator come? They'll come back to that home, won't they? Mm. So... Um, so is it any wonder the victims don't necessarily give a statement? But as I say to the, the cops, uh, you know, as a senior investigating officer for a murder, did I have a victim from a statement? Uh, sorry, a, a statement from a victim who had been murdered? Sadly and tragically, of course I didn't, because sadly they died, they'd been killed. So did, what did I do? Did I put my hands in my pockets and walk off and say, oh, well, c'est la vie. Of course you didn't. You then do a proper and full investigation uh, into that particular uh, murder um, and once you have a suspect um, comes into play when you've done your investigation then I personally would have put the vast majority of my resources uh, around uh, the stalker in this particular or the you know the potential suspect for a murder put your put your resources to try and either put them into that investigation or take them out of it of course because i wouldn't as the senior investigating officer want a miscarriage of justice um, yeah. so if you can put if they're out they're out if they're in they're in so you don't need a statement from a victim it's the icing on the cake if you've got it but you're more likely to have a statement from a victim of what's been going on for them in a stalking case than you are in a coercive control investigation. So your question is, what evidence do I need? It's down to the evidence, uh, down to the police to uh, find that evidence. What you need as a victim is to just tell them um, how it's affecting you. You're probably going to be fearful and how your day-to-day -day life is changing uh, because of it. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, all of that is really important for us to remember. And as we, as we you know, talk to the police and how we you know, maybe inform them of what's happening. Um, and I think maybe it's that we can't actually voice our feelings. It's quite a personal um, thing to happen to you, isn't it? It's, you know, like you said, they want to get up close and personal to you. So you know that person and you know what they're trying to do and achieve. And the last thing that you want to happen is for that person to get any closer than they already 
are so I can you know imagine and a few of the things that you were saying you know I you know I can relate to some of the situations like um when I was going to family court we used to change our route on the way back from the family court to the mm-hmm. car park we'd choose different car parks sometimes we'd run sometimes we'd power walk we'd we'd mix it up because we were just so scared that he would know the pattern and that was not just me that was my new partner and my mother-in-law so it 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 consumes you doesn't it it anyway. does, and that's a, no, that, but that's an important point because it's not just you as the victim as such that is being affected. Yeah. Other people are now being affected, aren't they? Mm. In terms of, I think you just said your new partner and um, and uh, my sorry, mother-in-law, it, yeah, your mother-in-law. So they're being affected by it as well, uh, and that's that's true. And in terms of stalking, there's up to twenty-one other people will know uh, what's going on in in, in the victim's life. Right. So that actually makes it. Uh, that's that's obviously done from, come from research as well. But that actually means that other twenty one other people need to be. And that could be work colleagues. It could be friends. Uh, they may have seen things, heard things. Uh, the stalker may have come into your workplace. Those types of things. And that's uh, in terms of investigation, what the police should be uh, looking at as well. So we call it how in the in the police service you sort of do your normal house to house inquiries. Mm. Those house-to-house inquiries in, in another name could be up to 21 other people, not just who live nearby to you, but in your workplace uh, 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 and other places as well that may have stuff. So it does affect other people. Uh, but mm. actually, that's really good evidence to try and secure uh, to bring your stalking case together. Right. Well, um, obviously, you know, there's times and um, this next question is, you know, obviously another personal one, but... They're saying, why does a police officer think that they can help the abuser by contacting them um, and it not be called stalking? So basically, they've they're saying that the police have helped them to the person to stalk them further. And why should the abusers be allowed to know anything about us? And from I can relate to what they're saying from a different angle. So when I was in the went to my first family court hearing, the police had informed me not to give out my personal address, but the judge ordered that I gave him my personal address. Mm-hmm. Um, so how how can we what can we do about those kinds of situations? Well, um Family courts, um, or a, a judge is a very uh, powerful person. But I think you need to be, we need to be uh, really clear that obviously a judge isn't a police officer. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of the context of a context where a police officer would um, give information to to uh, a perpetrator of stalking. Um, uh, uh, and clearly there is uh, some, so, uh, but uh, I'm not aware of uh, where that has occurred before. But clearly if um, there's an investigation ongoing and the police give confidential information to uh, a suspect, um, then that is not, that's not right. Uh, and there are ways uh, that in terms of police complaints and things like that that should be being dealt with. Uh, and certainly if I found out that one of my officers had been given um, uh, information uh, about a victim that clearly shouldn't have been shared, then there, then there would have been an investigation into that uh, police officer as to why they're happening. So I think um, to try and answer that question is, is quite hard for me. It's not me ducking it, but if that particular person wants to get in touch with you and then come through to me uh, to discuss that, then maybe I can uh, assist um, 
Jen, if that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I've had um, other messages that are similar, not about a police officer, but about going back to the family court. So mm. people asking how um, why the family court are facilitating this type of behaviour um, and why it's, you know, it's not taken you know seriously or why you know i mean really yeah. the fam- if the if we were all um trained on it and educated on it then i guess they would be able to recognize that form of behavior and see Absolutely. that it's incorrect so and i think that's a, and, and you've hit you've hit the nail on the head there in, in terms of the family court will be look at the judge will be looking at a po- from his or her um perspective but actually isn't thinking wide, the wider issues by doing this. This is, I'm just uh, assisting or perpetrating the, the stalking in, 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 in another way, aren't, aren't they? Mm. Uh, but again, through lack of training and understanding of what stalking is, this is why I said it shouldn't just be the police, it should be the CPS, it should be the family courts. Um, you know, I want to train up everybody really so they have an understanding which will then help people uh, in terms of... Um, family courts and uh, and I've seen it and I've, I think I've touched on it already in terms of how perpetrators of stalking or stalkers who have been ex-intimate partners have used sort of the family courts to make those complaints uh, which then have to be looked at uh, but then on the vast vast majority of occasions nothing changes but, uh, for the victim and indeed the children um, but in the meantime the victim has had to go through uh, an awful lot of heartache and angst uh, for that, uh, but the, the stalker knows that they know that, and that's that's the reason for them doing it. Uh, sadly, because those are the types of ways that uh, those cause of controlling perpetrators and stalkers. That, that's that's what they want to achieve ultimately, and um, uh, it, it, it's not clearly it's horrendous for the uh, for the victims concerned, um, and it's about time, in my view, that actually. Um, for instance, if that was part of a stalking investigation and that kept happening, and I actually happened to chat to a, um, a victim the other day who was having very similar things, the police should be taking that into consideration along with the other behaviours that have been displayed by the perpetrator and mm. pulling them all together, which just shows, and it comes back to that sort of vexatious complaints thing that I was talking about earlier, Jen, in terms of, um, you know, let's pull all that together and you can see actually what the perpetrator or the stalker is trying to trying to do, and um, but in terms of the family courts, um, yeah, they're a they're a, uh, uh, an organisation that um, I personally believe needs some uh, a radical shake up, really, yeah, in terms of how things are dealt with. Yeah, and um, I think there was a lot of questions that were specific to the family car and um, to other things. I'm not going to be able to cover them all here, but I'm mm. sure if anybody wanted to ask any questions, to pop them in the in the comments, um, or you know, I'll be sharing um, the interview, etc. So they'll be able to find John on Twitter as well. Um, but I've got two final questions that I think are really important to to ask um one the, the first one would be if we don't think the police are taking us seriously what can we do um well that, what i would say is um if you don't think they're being taken seriously you've heard me say already that uh, you, you know the police if you make a complaint to the police then uh, the first instance they should come and speak to you and you should be listened to and you should be believed you should be believed and I know, you know, some police officers look at me incredulously when I say that. I say, well, what do you mean we've got to believe? We've got to uh, do the um, 
uh, investigation because they could be telling us, um, you know, a load of rubbish, mm. which of course a victim could be. They could be lying. But let me. This is what my answer to the police officers normally is: is that in my experience, 28 and a half years of uh, policing experience, um, I did come across the odd case where victims uh, or alleged victims uh, made things up, but it was very, very, very rare. Mm. And if you actually think about it from a, a victim's perspective, and again, sorry, I, I'm, I'm going to mention it again, but if you are waking up every single morning wondering how you're going to keep yourself safe, and I'm not being disparaging to victims at all. So please, if you are a victim or have been a victim, don't think that I am. But to be fair, if you're just trying to think, how am I going to get through the next 24 hours? How am I going to keep myself safe? How am I going to keep the kids, uh, keep the kids safe? If you're going to tell a lie, this is something my mum used to tell me. Um, if you tell one lie, you've got to tell another. Mm. And so actually you have to come up, uh, if you want to keep uh, maintain those lies, you have to come up with a real web of deceit. And what I would suggest is that most victims uh, of coercive control are indeed stalking. Uh, if they're waking up every morning, wondering how bad they're going to, they haven't got the time uh, and or the inclination to uh, understand, you know, think about it. They won't have that necessary mental state to be able to come up with that web of deceit. Mm. So what we say, or, or what, we should, what we should, police officers should do is turn up, listen to what's being said, take all the details and actually believe what the victim's telling them. Because in the vast, vast majority of the cases, it will be true. They might not be able to prove it at the end of the day, but most victims aren't making it up. Mm. But I can tell you now what victims and survivors tell me, that if a police officer comes along and it's obvious that it's like, oh, this is another domestic incident I've got to deal with. Um, uh, and then, and just their nonverbal communication signs from the police officer aren't good, or it looks like they're not being believed, then a, a victim, a survivor uh, of uh, domestic abuse is just going to shut off and not going to speak to them because they'll have no confidence. So firstly, they need to, as I say, victims need to be believed. And if the police then do their investigation, it turns out as part of that investigation that they've been uh, lying, then that can be dealt with, can't it, down the line? But it's very, very, very rare that that occurs. Mm. As I say, there will be uh, many occasions, sadly, that the evidence just isn't there to be able to um, charge somebody or convict somebody. But that doesn't mean it hasn't happened. Yeah. My own police experience, I know, and, and my own colleagues that I used to work with, uh, we dealt with many perpetrators of domestic abuse, for instance, and we knew they were the perpetrators, but sadly we couldn't um, get enough evidence uh, for it to get over the threshold that is required to charge somebody. Right. Uh, so what do you do? What you should then do is obviously try and uh, keep those uh, victims safe uh, by putting in the right crime prevention initiatives and also giving them uh, good enough victim care. Sadly, in stalking cases, what we know from victim care is that uh, from that term, living in fear work that was done in 2017 that 95% of stalking cases don't receive good enough victim care uh, so it's essential to recognize and to record that stalking uh, stalking as a crime early because that validates the victim's perception it also informs um, other services for instance victim support etc um, mm. it allows for positive action to be taken once the perpetrator has been identified um, but if you don't put the right victim care in place and you don't, it, 
It effectively gives entirely the wrong impression of the seriousness of which the police are treating the case. Mm. And also, if you don't take positive action, if the police don't take positive action, and by that I mean arrest, um, then bail conditions can't be imposed to protect to the victim. And it also allows the perpetrator down the line to make representations regarding the seriousness of the behaviour. So if the police don't take it seriously in the first place, um, um, and then you know two weeks later down the line, actually they think, oh, do you know what? There is there is a case here. Uh, we didn't arrest the perpetrator before. We maybe if we did even speak to them, we brought them in as a voluntary attender, as is called. Then uh, you can imagine the the, the defence solicitor that would be sat with the perpetrator saying, "Hang on a minute, officer, you're telling me you want a restraining order now? But two weeks ago, you only brought my client in as a as a, a voluntary attendant. You didn't arrest, but now suddenly it's all really serious. So straight away it undermines the case. So positive action needs to be taken early doors, but people need to be believed. Uh, yeah. Victims need to be believed. Does that help? Um, have I yeah, answered that one. Yeah, and I think I think there's a a final question which I don't know if you're going to have an answer for, and if it really is um, something we can do. But how could we protect ourselves from being stalked? Is that is there such a thing as being able to do that? Uh, well, in terms of uh, cyber stalking, um, just be aware of what you put online. Uh, but that being said, you, again, you have to be really, really careful. Um, and it's uh, it's around crime prevention that this is what I would call in my old police state, but crime prevention uh, advice, really. Um, um, if you start telling people to come off social media, then what are you actually doing to that victim? What are the professionals mm -hmm. doing to that victim? They're actually closing the victim's world down even further than the perpetrator or the stalker is already doing. Uh, so... Uh, all, I'm, all I'm saying is be careful of what you put on. Just be aware of what your digital footprint, uh, I think is the jargon that is used, uh, is. Uh, but I'm not advocating that you should come off social media because yeah. actually if you're being stalked, the authorities should be dealing with the stalker, not closing your world down as a victim. Mm. Um, uh, but in terms of, um, you know, general, as I say, crime prevention advice, um, you know, if you think you're being stalked, um, then you need to contact the police every single time. Contact them. Even if you've been knocked back before, contact them again, because there will be a record or there should be a record that that contact's been there. Mm -hmm. And that shows, ultimately, if somebody was to look back down the line, well, this victim's contacted us X number of times now. Um, we need to be looking into that. Uh, but definitely contact the police, especially if you feel like you're in any immediate danger. I would suggest that you vary uh, your daily routine when traveling to or from work, home or other places. Uh, now for me, again, that comes back to the minute you're doing that, I don't have to do that when I go to work. Um, so somebody else is having to do it, it's having a substantial adverse effect on their day-to-day um, uh, -day life. Mm -hmm. Review your security at home, consider an alarm, cameras, again, that's having a substantial adverse effect on your life because if you were doing that, you're going to have to pay out some money for that. Now, again, I don't have to do that. Mm. But, uh, so that's going to have a... Keep a diary of what's happening to you so you can share that with the uh, authorities mm -hmm. and collect, collect your own evidence, if you like. So keep all messages and gifts. Uh, sometimes victims have been managed to film or video the stalker. Um, you know, if they've been followed... If you've been... And this is one. If you, if you were being followed, for instance, in a car and you're able to drive to an area where there's CCTV within the, within a town, you know there's likely to be CCTV, do that. Because if the stalker follows you, 
then the first time, if you reported that to the police and they saw on the CCTV that the stalker's uh, car was uh, there or thereabouts and following you, they may just say, well, it's just coincidence. But if it happens two or three times, it's more that more, it's no more a coincidence, is it? And also understand where the nearest safe location is. And above all, tell people at home, at work, what is happening to you. Mm. Because actually they'll look out for you, they'll be aware of it. And, um, uh, and but, but finally, trust in your own instinct. Victims of domestic abuse uh, and stalking have kept themselves safe uh, for 50 up to 100 occasions before they've actually reported it to, um, to authorities. So, um, um, you know, they do, they're pretty good at their in, own instincts. They understand what's going on. So, yeah. No, that's, um, I mean, to, John, you have covered so much ground here today and I have basically written my own notes whilst I've been listening to you because I just think it's an area that needs to be looked at more, not just from professionals, but people that are going through it to understand, you know, the, the differences and, you know, how, what is classed as evidence even or, you know, you've really sort of enlightened me and sort of, made me think differently on things as well so I just want to say a huge thank you um but also an apology to anybody that I haven't asked a question for or it's not covered your answer but I know John is willing to answer questions or help and give guidance yeah. aren't you John um yeah, and a personal thank you um to you John as well because you've really helped me in you know my personal life and um the situation that I've been through I've given a glimmer of it if you head to John's website you can see my recommendation for John um so John how do people find you if they want to get in touch if they want to find your website um well my website is uh, www.abusefreelife.com Abuse Free Life, all one word. So uh, abusefreelife.com, you can find me there. And uh, my details, email. And um, obviously, if you have any questions, then yeah, please, um, if I can help, then, uh, you know, I will do so. And um, look, what I say, and actually, um, you, you, you may be aware of, uh, or certainly you'll see it on the website, is... Um, sadly, there are more perpetrators of domestic abuse and stalking out there than there are people and organisations trying to help. Mm. Uh, but I believe that by working together, we uh, are much smarter by working together than the perpetrators of these, uh, you know, coercive control and stalking out. So if yeah. we work together, the likes of myself, Jen, myself, other organisations we're involved in, there's some great people out there. If we all work together and ensure we keep the victim at the heart of everything that we do, then perhaps one day we're going to be able to free those victims from their perpetrators. Mm. We just need to keep persevering. So I'm really grateful for you today for giving me that um, chance just to be able to speak to people. You know, uh, I, as I say, I deliver the training um, pre-COVID, obviously face-to-face. <laughs> That's the best way of doing it. I'm now just developing my training packages around coercive control and indeed stalking. Um, and uh, hopefully they'll be, and I'll put them on the website soon, but if anybody wants to attend some of that training, then then they'll be very welcome to. But uh, we just really need to remember that, you know, certainly as professionals, that uh, as a professional, we're often the first people that uh, a stalking victim is going to turn to. Mm. Uh, and therefore, um, you can make a, or those professionals can make a big difference in people's lives. 
but they need uh, those professionals need to believe the victim they need to listen to the victim and then they need to treat them respectfully and sensitively because that's the most single important single intervention uh, and the most important moment for most victims of stalking uh, as i say we can uh, and will make uh, an important difference uh, in people's lives if we all work together uh, yeah so we need to put aside not that you and i i hope uh, i'm I've known you for a long time, but it's not about egos. It's about all working together and trying to help victims and survivors of stalking. And exactly. that's what I'm about. No, yeah, like what you've said as well um, over the course of, um, you know, recording this about a collective effort, that training isn't just for the police force. It's for, you know, all the services and agencies that are involved. Um, so I think that's something that we need to consider and take forward today. You know, if anybody's watching or listening to sort of take that on board and think about actually how much do we know about stalking and how much do we need to educate ourselves further to have that understanding. So thank you, John. What I'll do is I'll pop the details um, for, for John's website um, and information in the description so anybody can just simply click through. Um, once again, thank you so much, John, for your time on this and talking about clearly a subject that is um, a passion of yours, really, which it's really good to have somebody that is passionate about that area um, because I wouldn't know anybody else that I would go to about the issue on stalking. So thank you so much for your time. That's fine, no problem at all. again to John for creating to be interviewed and also because he has just given us a wealth of information there I don't know about you but I've certainly got some things that I want to look up and um, consider stalking as something that we need to constantly be looking at and working on and making sure as a collective that we understand what that looks like Anyway, the next episode of Hashtag Abuse Talk Podcast will be out on the 19th of November. I can't believe I'm saying that, to be honest. If you haven't tuned into any of the other episodes of Hashtag Abuse Talk, you can find them at our website, abusetalk.co.uk, or you can um, find us on Spotify, Apple, um, and Google Podcasts, I believe. In fact, I think we are now on Amazon, if you haven't checked us out over there. Please do leave us a review, give us your feedback. We'd love to hear what you think about the podcast and if you found them informative educational insightful maybe motivational um it'd be good to know so thank you and finally you've been listening to me jennifer gilmore author of isolation junction and clipped wings both available on amazon or you can check them out on my website jennifergilmore.com